Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the You Live, You Learn edition. As the Bengals try to erase the taste of last week's frustrating loss to the Steelers as they head to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Coming up, I'll go one-on-one with former Cowboy Lael Collins and talk to the Bengals' new long snapper, Cal Adamitis. Andrew Siciliano from the NFL Network and the broadcast partner Dave Lapham share their thoughts on the Bengals' performance in Week 1. And finally, it's our Know the Foe segment as we chat with Todd Archer, who covers the Cowboys for ESPN. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by AltaFiber, future-proof fiber internet. Elevate your connection with AltaFiber. By Kettering Health, the official healthcare provider of the Bengals. By Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. And by Paycor, the official HR software provider of the Bengals. And now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since your kids' milestones. 16-year-old Sam Horde got his driver's license this week. It's equal parts awesome and heartbreaking. It seems like one day you're reading your kid a nightly bedtime story, and the next day you're tossing him the keys to the car. But seeing them reach their personal goals is great. I just wish I could stop the clock. Now, let's get to this week's guests. There are two former Cowboys on the Bengals roster, Chidabe Awuje and Lael Collins. Collins was released by the Cowboys for salary cap purposes in March, with three years and roughly $30 million left on his deal. He promptly signed a three-year contract with the Bengals, where he's been reunited with his first offensive line coach in Dallas, Frank Pollock. I spoke to Collins on Wednesday about facing his former team. I'll see you spent seven years with the Dallas Cowboys, the team that probably has the largest following of any in professional sports. What was it like for you to play for, quote-unquote, America's team? No, it was great. Um, you know, I'm, I'm extremely thankful to, to this day, you know, for everything that the Jones family has done for me up until this point. Um, you know, every, everything that everybody's over there in that organization has done for me. Um, you know, I started off with Frank there, you know, my rookie year, and, you know, you know, he, he groomed me into be a pro, and, and, it's, and it's, it's good to have him here. So, you know, I'm, I'm just extremely thankful to, to be in Dallas the last seven years. What was Jerry Jones like as a boss? He was great. Um, you know, a, a football guy, you know, he, he loves, loves his players. Um, and, you know, just always was excited about football and, you know, just tried to do everything that he could to put the team in position to, to go out and, and be their best. You were a cornerstone player on some great teams, but they ultimately did let you go. Does that add any fuel to the fire this week? No, I think, um, you know, as far as letting me go, I think it was a mutual uh, agreement thing more so than just you know, let me let me go out in a win. But um, you know, like I say, you know, I'm I'm just still just extremely thankful for everything that they've done for me. And and uh, you know, uh, you know, for me, you know, it's eyes forward, and you know, I'm focused on helping this team, you know, win and, and be the best team that we can be. We're chatting with LC Lael Collins. A couple of years ago, you were hurt. 
And Dak Prescott got hurt early in the year and missed most of the season. Now he's injured again. What kind of an emotional blow do you think that is for your former teammates? You know, for him, you know, I know that's, you know, it's, it's, it's got to be heartbreaking um, because I know how hard that guy works. Uh, I know how committed and dedicated he is to his craft and um, such a tremendous leader and the, the leader of that team, you know, for, for me, I think. Um, as that team went, you know, he was always the guy that, that kind of helped that team stay together and, and really lead that team by example. So, um, you know, I'm sure those guys are, are sad to see him. I mean, I'm sad to see him, you know, go down, you know, this early in the season because I know he's put in a lot of work. Let's discuss the O-line in week one. Experts that know more about O-line play than I do say that despite the seven sacks, it was a pretty encouraging performance overall. How did you see it? And how did you feel about your own performance? You know, I felt like uh, as, a, as, a, as a unit, um, I think we did some great things. Uh, obviously, you know, it was our first time playing together. Um, but we just got to go out and continue to build on the things that, you know, we started. And, you know, that's just better communicating, um, uh, just learning to play uh, faster with each other and, and making sure that we're always on the same page. You were largely matched up against T.J. Watt in week one. Jonah Williams will largely be matched up against Micah Parsons on Sunday. What advice can you give him, if any? You know, just go out and play his game. Um, Jonah's a, a hell of a player. Um, he's seen, he's, he's played against a lot of great players. You know, it's just another one. Um, so just go out and take advantage of, of this opportunity. Last week was your first experience of playing with uh, Joe Burrow, and uh, it was quite an experience, a roller coaster ride. He overcame all those turnovers and put you in position to win the game. What was it like to be in the huddle with him while that was going on? It was awesome. You know, he's a guy that, that doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, kind of stays, does a great job of staying neutral. Um, and, you know, for, for me being in the huddle with him, I think just watching the way he's able to direct the whole thing, run the whole show, be confident in what he what he's doing. Um, you know, communicate with the receivers, the backs, and just get everybody on the same page. Um, he's a he's a hell of a player. He's going to be a, a, a really great player. When you've played as much NFL football as you've played, you probably think you've seen it all. Then you have a game like last week. Does it remind you just how crazy the game can be? Absolutely. I mean, that's the beauty of this sport, though. You know. You got to continue to fight until that, to that, that clock hits zero and there's more, no more opportunities. So, you know, you want to strain to finish every block for guys up front and, and give the guys with the ball, you know, all the opportunity that they, that they need to go out there and help us win. So um, this week we look to improve and take the next step. Will you accidentally step into the wrong locker room? On Sunday, do you have? Do you need a map to get to the visitor's side? Well, you know, I've never been to the visitor's side, so but um, I'm looking forward to going in there and, and us playing our best ball as a unit, as a team, and um, you know, you know, just looking forward and really confident in everything that we're doing here, and you know, believing in it 100 percent, and gonna lay, gonna lay it all on the line, leave it all on the field. Always great to visit with you. I appreciate your time. Best of luck this week. Appreciate you. Thank you, man. Joe Burrow threw 53 passes in the Bengals' season opener, and according to Pro Football Focus, Collins did not give up a sack and only allowed one quarterback pressure. LC was obviously impressed by Burrow's ability to shake off four interceptions and lead the Bengals on what should have been a couple of game-winning drives. 
Here's Dave Lapham on Burroughs Resiliency. I know a lot of people sour about, you know, Joe with the turnovers, and I can understand. But that game, the way he just put the first half away and executed in the second half shows me his mental toughness, his resiliency like you talk about. And this guy, I, like I said when we, on our podcast after the game, I would go, get in the huddle with him to play anybody, anytime, anywhere. Because that game should have been, with five turnovers, should have been a three or four score blowout. And that says something about the Bengals' defense, but it also says something about the way Joe turned things around. I'd say about halfway through the second quarter to the conclusion of the football game, I thought he executed pretty darn well. The first quarter and a half was tough. And I think part of it, as great as he is, I, I think he was like anxious to get anxious to show I'm back. The, the heck with the append, you know, appendectomy. I'm back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove to everybody that I'm better than where I was last year. And I think he got impatient. Because of that, I think he, he took chances he shouldn't have taken. The first snap of the game, looking at that again, I didn't get to, I, I didn't watch the first series because I was working my way back to the to the booth from the pregame stuff. But they they called a play where every there were a bunch of short routes. They just wanted him to complete the ball, get the butterflies out, you know, see the ball completed and get get in rhythm, and get going. And he just hold, held the football, just held on to the football. He had multiple places to go with the ball and just held it, get sacked. And then the second play, he tries to put it in a spot where, wow, you, you got other options. You're, 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 trying, you're trying too hard. You're trying to do too much. Looking at that, it's like they're, they're, giving, you, they're giving you routes and options to make completions, get confidence. And then when he threw it a spot where he shouldn't have and make a Fitzpatrick jumped it, then all of a sudden now, oh, you start, even as great as he is, you start to question yourself a little bit. And it kind of, snow, kind of snowballs. But when you get in that kind of situation, it's hard to put a stop to it and reverse it. And he did it. He did it. That's not, that's not easy to do. And Joe Burrow uh, did it and gave his, cha- his team a chance to win, win a football game. And with this guy at the helm, they're going to win a lot of football games. I, I get no doubt in my mind. As I mentioned in my conversation with Collins, despite giving up seven sacks and 11 quarterback hits, the Bengals' offensive line did not get terrible grades in Week 1 from PFF and ESPN. Here's Lap with his thoughts on how the O-line measured up. Is there room for improvement? Hell yeah. But I was talking to Brian Callahan a little bit today, and I asked him, I said, you know, seven sacks, 11 hits. Everybody's going to blow up the offensive line. And as you know, it, it's always the case. Initially, it's like, oh, my God, they, they had to have sucked, you know. Well, they probably gave up four of them, and that's not good enough. But you have the quarterback holding the ball, like I said, in the first play of the game. He had plenty of places to go and held it. You have backs uh, not solid enough in their blitz pickup responsibility or helping or whatever. You have receivers not getting open and now having to hold the football. So it's always a collective thing. But sack totals and quarterback hits are always going to fall on the offensive line. Can they play better? Yes. But I'll tell you a guy who I thought was pretty damn salty, Kappa. Phi Beta Kappa brought it a little bit. I, I, I thought I thought he uh, 
I thought he showed some at the line of scrimmage. I thought he showed a little edginess. And, you know, and you can see L.C. Collins, too. I mean, sustainability, uh, consistency and sustainability of it. But he does some things where it's like, ooh, man, that's an athletic, powerful dude, boy. You know, so I think they're going to be okay. I, I remember saying when we talked on podcasts and things we've done that the offensive line having not played together at all in the preseason – and I thought Mike Tomlin had the quote of the week. If you're going to box, you have to spar. They didn't spar. They didn't hit in practice. They didn't play in any preseason games. Pittsburgh did. They, when they put shoulder pads on, they took people to the ground. They hit, and they played their starters, some in preseason games. So they were sparring, so they were more ready to hit. So my, my thing was, okay, the offensive line, you have to see it live to get on the same level to pick up stunts and downhill blitzing and all that. And I, I said, I remember saying a couple of times to different uh, people that we talked to, they'll be better in the second half than they were in the first half. They'll be better at the end of September than they are in the beginning of September. And I thought they were light years better in the second half than they were in the first half. And Joe Burrow played better in the second half than the first half. Not a coincidence that the offensive line played better. Joe felt a little more comfortable the offensive line felt more comfortable with him. It's, it's a reciprocal thing. So hopefully they played 94 snaps, counting penalties, 100 snaps. Damn, they, they got up to speed quickly. And how about Jamar Chase, Dan? Played every one of them. As a receiver, are you kidding me? 94 snaps, you're running routes, you're doing all that. And this kid, he, he worked with a track coach in the offseason to work on his, on his uh, stamina and his conditioning. He lost five pounds unintentionally, but he worked his tail off. Man, he is a he is a machine. And the Bengals had a couple of guys cramp up. This guy played every single snap and never even showed a sign of a cramp. He is a Martian. Maybe not a Martian, but he's certainly one of the best players in the NFL. Chase had 10 catches for 129 yards, despite not having T. Higgins on the other side of the field for most of the game. Speaking of Chase... You've probably seen the photo by now that shows Jamar holding up one finger on each hand and directing that gesture towards Steeler safety, Minka Fitzpatrick. I'm not condoning the gesture, but I will admit to being amused by Jamar's response when I asked him about the picture. This is a cool photo, actually. I'll come back again later when we play them, so that's cool. I hope they don't make nothing too big of it, but it's fun to see, though. First time you ever done that to an opponent? Nah. Nah. They just the first time they caught me doing it. <laughs> so, and I just I just keep scrolling and seeing the picture and I just keep laughing, so it's it's pretty funny to see. So what did the national media think of the Bengals week one performance where they lost the turnover battle five zip and still would have almost certainly won the game if not for an injury to long snapper Clark Harris? I caught up with the NFL Network's Andrew Siciliano, who hosts the Red Zone channel on Direct TV. Andrew, you were in Cincinnati for a few days when the Bengals held their joint practices against the Rams. You called that preseason game. What takeaways did you uh, come away with from seeing the Bengals up close and personal? Dan, it was great to see you there as well. And it was great to be in Cincinnati. I hadn't been there in a while. I came away from that. And obviously, we could talk about the uh, the Steeler game in a second. I came away from that. Um, very much believing that the Bengals were still an AFC contender. And as much as we talk about Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, and they did look great, I was there for that last Thursday. 
Um, the Bengals are still very much a force to be reckoned with. Now, I, I know we didn't see those guys on the field against the Rams that day, but the two days of joint practice, um, it was great to be able to stand there and watch Matthew Stafford on one field. And then after that snap, then you turn and you see Joe Burrow on the other field. I thought some of the deep shots they hit, you know, whether it's Burrow to Jamar Chase or just the work those two teams got in, you came away saying these two teams um, both have a legitimate shot at making it to Glendale. The Monday after the first NFL Sunday is the ultimate overreaction Monday. Half of the fan bases in the NFL right now are in panic mode. What was your reaction to the Bengals' loss to the Steelers in week one? Uh, I was stunned at how poorly they started. But, 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 if you look around the league, there were a lot of teams in the same boat. The Colts were down two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to the Texans. The Saints were down two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to the Falcons. Joe Burrow and the Bengals were not the only team that came out of the gate slowly. A lot of teams looked like they had a lot of rust to shake off. Um, I still think they're fine. But as Mike McDaniel said last week, before week one, the Dolphins coach, he said about the week one overreactions, he said half the league or, or fans are going to either want to crown you or say that you suck. Either way, <laughs> you have week two. And the Bengals have a week two against Cooper Rush and the Cowboys, which makes things a heck of a lot different. So you've been hosting DirecTV's Red Zone channel for 18 years, I believe. The end of the one o'clock games last week was total mayhem. What was that like for you? Uh, I always say, Dan, that we have a good show when we have good games. We had as great an early September 20, 30 minute stretch as I can remember. We've had great stretches always do in December and January when playoffs are on the line. Early, yeah, you always get good games, but just the way those played out, your game in overtime with the missed kicks and, and you know, all those shots in the red zone before they tied the game with a touchdown to Jamar Chase, uh, the end of that game in Indy, the end of the game between the Saints and the Falcons. Um, what else are we missing? Uh, the, the, the Giants Titans going for two. Um, there was one other one as well. Uh, the Browns and the Panthers came down to the end and Cade York hitting the 58 yard field goal. And then plus all of those games, your two overtime games bled into the four, the, the 425 kicks. You know, they made those late kicks 425 so that you don't have that overlap. Well, we had the overlap and then you have Mahomes driving down the field, um, on the opening drive at Arizona to throw a touchdown pass. So all of that together, I, I think, Look, we, we keep my mic open when we have more than one game on the screen. So I don't have a chance to catch my breath because you want to go back and forth. They never kill my mic. I think my mic might have been open for 35 straight minutes, which we've never had. Um, I needed a drink after it. Um, I had to wait a couple hours, though. <laughs> Andre Siciliano is our guest. So the Bengals head to Dallas this week. Were you surprised by how poorly the Cowboys played in week one even before Dak Prescott got hurt. Yeah, they're the only team that didn't score a touchdown this week of the 32. They were the only team that did not find the end zone. If you go back to last year, because it was Bucks cowboys week one last year as well, those two teams combined for like 800 yards and 60 points. So clearly it was 
a bit different. Uh, I saw the Cowboys up close. We did a joint practice when they were in LA, the Cowboys and the Chargers a couple of weeks ago. And the big questions were O-line and wide receiver. And the big questions are still O-line and wide receiver. Tyler Smith kind of held his own, but he's not the only issue on that line. And a wide receiver, uh, look, Michael Gallup is going to be okay. He started team drills today. Um, Wednesday this week so I don't know that he's going to play but Michael Gallup will eventually get there um, James Washington it may be another month who knows until then CD Lamb's got to do more and Mike McCarthy called him out a bit today and then said I don't call out players but then he called out players and said CD Lamb has got to get used to being the number one um, they they have some issues. Cooper Rush is a nice backup quarterback. I'm not trying to dump too much on Cooper Rush, but we said that day doing Chargers uh, Chargers Cowboys joint practice that they need to go at least explore Jimmy Garoppolo long before the Niners kept uh, decided to keep him. They have as suspect a backup quarterback situation as there is in the NFL, and now they have to tread water. I will defend Cooper Rush with this. He did win his only start previously last year against the Vikings, played reasonably well, played reasonably well in that game, right? So what must the Bengals do to take care of business against the Cowboys' number two quarterback this week? I would say, you know, the easy way is take away the run and make Cooper Rush beat you because the passing game with Dak Prescott didn't do a thing last week. I thought Zeke, when he had the ball, looked pretty good. Um, you would have to think they try to get him and Tony Pollard involved even more this week. The Bengals are the better football team. Let's just say that definitively. They are the better football team. Uh, the Cowboys, I think this is an emotional test for them. Everyone wrote off their season, you know, idiotically Monday night. No one loses their season in one game week one. I think there's a little more optimism there after finding out that Dak could only be back, you know, could only be out for a month. But uh, it is a huge test, I think, for the Cowboys this week. The Bengals come in the better team and, yes, disappointed, I know. Um, but I think they proved in the second half they'll, they'll be okay. So at the NFL Network, you are surrounded by former players and former coaches. You're interacting with these guys just about every day. Do you get the sense that most of them consider the Bengals to be a legitimate contender or that they see last year's Super Bowl run as a little bit fluky? Can both be true? I mean, I, I think when I say both can be true, meaning they had everything go their way last year. So... Yeah, they got there, and they deserved to be there. But they had a million breaks. So did the Rams, by the way. The Rams were 0 for November, and then all of a sudden went their way down the stretch. Um, I think everyone here thinks that the Bengals are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Absolutely. However, everyone also is on the Bills bandwagon. I mean, you, I, I know Bengals fans feel that Bills, Bills bandwagon, and there's probably a little bit of what about us. I get it. So they're, they're on the Bills bandwagon, yet at the same time, believe in Joe Burrow and believe in the Bengals. And I, I don't, I mean, is there a team against which you, you would say, you would, you would call the Bills, I'm sorry, the, the Bengals an underdog this year? I mean, maybe the Bills? Like, who, who do you say, oh yeah, Bengals against so-and-so. They're a dog in that one. I mean, point spreads aside, 
you have Joe Burrow, you're fine. Joe Burrow, by the way, completed 33 passes against the Steelers. That was the second most of any quarterback in week one. Without looking it up, I'll give you five seconds to name the only quarterback who completed more. Go. Time's up. The answer? Joe Flacco, who went 37 for 59 in the Jets' loss to his former team, Baltimore. For what it's worth, none of Flacco's 37 completions went to C.J. Uzama. One thing was abundantly clear in last week's loss to the Steelers. It's that we've probably all taken long snapper Clark Harris for granted. Yeah, I've been saying I need to pay raise for years, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it just shows it, it's not it's, it's not just uh, not, not taking anything away from an offensive center, but you know, it's not the same thing. It's not just, you know, tossing the ball back in a general vicinity. It's being very precise and, you know, on time and everything. So yeah, it just shows it, that we are a specified, you know, position and we are needed. <laughs> it's not just a position you can put by the wayside. Harris injured his right bicep while trying to make a tackle in punt coverage. Zach Taylor isn't necessarily calling his injury season-ending, but says that the team's long snapper since 2009 will definitely be out for months. The Bengals had to use tight end Mitchell Wilcox as an emergency long snapper last Sunday, but fortunately, the Bengals have a talented replacement waiting in the wings. Since Clark Harris is 38 years old, the Bengals signed the number one rated long snapper in college football as an undrafted free agent this year and had him on the practice squad. Now, 24-year-old Cal Adamitis out of the University of Pittsburgh has been promoted to the 53-man roster. Life comes at you fast. Uh, what's what's your reaction now to being promoted to the 53-man roster and, and being an NFL long snapper? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I feel for Clark. You know, he's been he's been a class act for me my whole time here, and you know, it's been the best situation a, a young snapper can ask for to you know come and learn from learn from a guy like that. Um, but you know, with that being said, um, having the chance to be here OTAs in camp and learn from him and Coach Simmons, you know, I'm, I'm ready for the job. How difficult was it to watch yesterday seeing Mitch thrust into that situation? Yeah, it's it's tough, but I mean, he he did his best and he he got did what he needed to do. Um, you know, that's something we talked about. You know, he he did he did his job um, in the situation that he was thrust into, and we're all proud of him for that. And you know, I'm looking forward to my chance my chance to come in and you know, obviously, get Mitch doing back to doing his main stuff and me doing my main thing. His snaps were playable. I mean, should he be getting credit as opposed to shade? I absolutely think he should be getting credit. Um, you know, that's that's a that's a tough spot to be put into, and you know, uh, something Coach Simmons always says is everyone wants to be the snapper on, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday during practice, and then when Sunday comes around, there's, you know, less guys are as as gung ho to to be that guy. But uh, he he did his job. Your snaps were good in the preseason. I know the thing that they've been working with you on is blocking, right? Because it's different from college to the NFL. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, early on at Pitt, we ran a, a pro pro style scheme, so I have have experience blocking. Obviously, it's a you know it's certainly a step up from that, but um, you know I feel I'm ready for the situation, and we'll get a you know couple good days of practice in to you know put the finishing touches on, and we'll be ready to go on Sunday. Did you gain confidence from how smoothly things went in the preseason in camp? Certainly. I mean, uh, definitely had a lot of things, you know, thrown at me throughout camp uh, during practices and the games, and definitely was a confidence booster. You know, showed me that I, I definitely can play at this level. Um, there's still things I want to improve on, and I will continue to improve on, but, I'm, you know, I definitely feel that I'm capable. 
Adam Itis got a lot of work at training camp and in the preseason games, and Clark Harris says his replacement will be fine. He's a good snapper. I mean, uh, he was the best in college last year. He's a good snapper, and uh, I just kind of keep t- trying to tell him to uh, have confidence, you know, go out there and uh, just he's good enough. Uh, I knew that he had a chance to take my job this year in camp. I thought he was that good, so uh, I believe that he's going to be just fine and he'll get the job done, just have the confidence to go out there and do what, we're, what we train to do all the time. He's got the demeanor. He, when, he was in, when he was the guy for the preseason games, he never really had a – he didn't really look nervous. He didn't, you know, he didn't give off any nervous energy. He was real calm, collected, and he went out and did a great job. So I got all the confidence in the world in Adam Midas got a ton of opportunities at Pitt. He was the long snapper for 64 games over five seasons. Now, let's turn our attention to Sunday's game in Dallas. The Cowboys will not have two-time Pro Bowl quarterback Dak Prescott, who injured his right hand above the thumb in a 19-3 loss to Tampa Bay. 28-year-old Cooper Rush will start in his place. He's made one NFL start in his career and beat the Vikings last October when he threw for 325 yards and two touchdowns. The biggest star in Dallas these days is jack-of-all-trades defender Micah Parsons, who has 15 sacks in his first 17 NFL games. He's listed as a linebacker, but he's frequently positioned on the defensive line and occasionally lines up at cornerback. Here's Lap. This kid is ridiculously skilled and and versatile. Both defensive ends, he'll kick in and rush at defensive tackle against a garner as a three technique. He'll line up as a stack linebacker in in back of the three technique and blitz. He's got explosiveness, quickness, but also he can run like a deer, sideline to sideline. Everybody's like, why don't you just put him, keep him defensive end and let him rush the passer? Because he's the Swiss Army knife and you can do so much with him. And Dan Quinn's so creative. What they do, believe it or not, Michael Parsons, because of all the places he can line up, they get mismatches on a running back with the guy. I've seen, you know, tape where and running backs have no chance against a guy like this. So, you know, it's like, oh, we just got to recognize, okay, identify him, and, and somehow block him. Well, once you're set in a, in, in a formation, you may not be able to get a good matchup on what Dan Quinn's doing with Michael Parsons, or he may move him somewhere late to get the matchup on a running back. So this kid is, and, and you say, all right, well, what if the back goes out in a route and he's got to cover? He can do that. He can run and cover people. That's the thing about him. He is a freak. And here's a guy that was drafted with the 11th pick in the draft. you got an interesting matchup, and they won't be going against each other, but just the fact that the fifth pick of the draft – by the Bengals, Jamar Chase got Offensive Rookie of the Year. The 11th pick of the draft by the Dallas Cowboys got Defensive Rookie of the Year and was runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year. Runner-up to T.J. Watt. So you get T.J. Watt in the opener, Defensive Player of the Year, and you get the kid who's the runner-up Defensive Player of the Year in week number two. And this kid this kid can do even more, you know, do more things than T.J. Watt. It's crazy. Now time for our Know the Foe segment. Todd Archer covers the Cowboys for ESPN and joined Lap and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show. Dak Prescott is out. Cooper Rush is in. But here's my question. Even before Dak got hurt, the Cowboys' offense looked terrible against Tampa Bay on Sunday night. What's the problem with Dallas's offense? How long is this segment? <laughs> <laughs> Everything. You know, 
let's we'll start at wide receiver, right? C.D. Lamb, they're moving him to the number one role, uh, number one draft pick a couple of years ago. Obviously talented, and, and there's no issue with him. But you take him out of the mix. Dak Prescott hadn't thrown a touchdown pass to any other wide receiver that was playing last week. Uh, so that's an issue. Uh, their third-round pick, Jalen Tolbert, was inactive while they had an undrafted free agent active. You know, you go back to when they traded Amari Cooper to, to Cleveland, $20 million receiver they just didn't think was worth it. They went out and signed James Washington in free agency. He broke his foot on the first padded practice at training camp. So th- there's really no one on this offense that scares you. And just go back to last season when you had Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb. There's a lot of guys that scared you. And now, you know, the, the field is shrinking on these guys. And then let's talk about the offensive line. No Tyron Smith. He's out until at least, you know, November, December-ish with a torn hamstring. They got Tyler Smith, their first-round picks now playing left guard. They, start, they, they lost their starting left guard after seven plays against Tampa Bay and brought in a guy who had never really played last year. And their right tackle, Terrence Steele, replacing your good buddy, LC. Well, he had four penalties in the, in the opener. So, you know, it, it, this, is, this was the, not the way to start the season for the Cowboys on offense a year after they led the NFL or second in the NFL in, in points per game. Cooper Rush has been there a while. Cooper Rush lit up the Vikings. Cooper Rush threw for over 300 yards against the Vikings. If Cooper Rush throws for over 300 yards against the Bengals, that'll be the first quarterback in Dallas history to throw for over 300 <laughs> yards in his first two starts and only the fourth one in NFL history. What do they think about Cooper Rush down there? Typical backup guy, right? Smart, doesn't yeah. need a lot of snaps to get ready, knows the offense, uh, not going to put you, put you in trouble, will make the smart decisions. Uh, all, all that kind of stuff. Now I'll go back to the start against Minnesota last year that, that he did win and he did a good job. The game-winning touchdown pass went to Amari Cooper. I just said he's not around. Right. His other touchdown pass went to Cedric Wilson. He's not around either. So, you know, th- this, this offense that he had in October to what he has now is, is completely different. But they do feel a sense of confidence, as confident as you can be, I guess, when you have a backup quarterback going in He's only played the one game, but it, how, he, how he wasn't afraid probably lifted some spirits coming into this one, knowing that Dak was going to be out here for a little bit. doesn't mean he's going to win, but they don't think he's going to implode either. And, and that's how many teams in the league would you say that's what you really want out of your backup quarterback? Right. Todd Archer from ESPN, who covers the Cowboys, is our guest. Let's talk about defense. They've got Micah Parsons, who's awesome. They've got Trayvon Dix, who had 11 interceptions last year to, to lead the NFL by a wide margin. Can the defense be good enough to, you know, keep them in the hunt for a while in their division? It has to be. And even before Dak got hurt, it had to be. Um, you know, the, for, for as long as I've covered this team, maybe – early couple of years when Parcells was the coach back in 03, 04, 05, around there. This team has been built around its offense. Think of all the stars that they've had, Romo, Witten, Dez Bryant, Miles Austin, uh, the, the guys that we've talked about already. That offensive line at one point was the best in football. Well, well, they don't have that now, but they do have a defense that kept Tom Brady out of the end zone. They only scored one touchdown against the Cowboys last week. They right. do a decent job in the red zone. They, their run defense is spotty. Uh, and that's concerning when you, when you look at what Fournette did up against them in week one and how they're not a very big defense. And, and you know, but if they, they believe Micah Parsons can get after any quarterback, they move him around, do a lot of different things with him. 
Uh, Trayvon Diggs, will, I'm interested to see how they use him, if, he's a, if he follows Chase around or not. Uh, they've done that a little bit, not a whole bunch. That might be a, something to watch on Sunday. But if it's not about this defense, then this is going to be an awful long season for the Cowboys. And it might be an awful long season for them anyway, but the defense is definitely going to have to carry the day. Talked about, you know, Parsons' abilities at all these different places. My, my thing is all right, when you have a great player, like even an Aaron Donald, old school in me, coaches in the past said you've got a player, run at him, anchor him. He'll kill you, you know, chasing things down. You've got to anchor him. You've got to beat him up a little bit. Micah Parsons, first you have to find him, and then you have to cover him up once you find him. This dude, I'm telling you, man, this guy, this guy's a game wrecker. I mean, he is, he's one hell of a football player. And my question is to compliment him, does Demarcus Lawrence still have juice? It looked to me in the opener like he played decently. Yeah, Demarcus Lawrence is their best pure defensive end that they have if we're not going to count Micah as a defensive end because of how they move him around. But, yeah, he had a TFL, I think, on the first drive. I mean, he's, he's a really good player, does a lot of the dirty work, does a good job against the run. But when the Cowboys gave him that contract a few years ago, it, you know, it, they didn't give him $105 million or whatever it was to be good against the run, it was to get some sacks. And he's not had a double-digit double digit sack season since signing that contract. But he's still a good player. And I think, Lapo, you see is they'll rotate everybody through there. Like, Dan Quinn is a believer in getting everybody in there and keeping them fresh. And, you know, they, they won't have Terrell Basham this week, but Sam Williams, their second-round pick from Ole Miss, Ole Miss, they like him a lot. Dante Fowler is a former number three pick in the draft. He was productive in the offseason, didn't do much against Tampa. Uh, so you'll see them roll a whole bunch of guys through there to keep them fresh and keep them going at you. And, you know, we'll see if it works. But the one guy who's not going to come off the field who didn't come off the field last week is Micah Parsons. He, he's going to be out there as much as he can. Right. How short is the rope for Mike McCarthy? Um. You know, Jerry Jones has only made one in-season coaching change, and that was in 2010 when they let go of Wade Phillips and, and uh, bumped up Jason Garrett uh, from the offensive coordinator role. Um, I, I don't see an in-season move happening unless this team just implodes the way that team does. I, I don't think you'll you'll see that. Um, but there's definitely the hot seat uh, be, just because of the nature of the job, the, the nature of Jerry uh, and, and everything that that entails. And there is talent on this team. Now they got to get Dak back ready to go. I know I've been negative about they're never going to score a point here, but there still is a lot of talent. I didn't even mention Ezekiel Elliott. If I'm the Cowboys, Bill Parcells used to say there are ways to win these games. The way the Cowboys can win these games is please just give the ball to Ezekiel Elliott. He's your best running back. He can change the tempo of a game. And the one thing they showed against Tampa, they can run block pretty good. Eight of his ten carries went for five yards or more. So – that's pretty good against that front. Um, but McCarthy is definitely on the hot seat. I don't think Sean Payton is this team's next head coach. It very well could be Dan Quinn, though. So with the offense projected to struggle a little bit, they, they don't have Dak Prescott. And like you said, the offensive line beaten up and receivers left um, and receivers that were there didn't get much separation that I saw against Tampa Bay. What about on the defensive side of things? Dan Quinn is aggressive by nature anyway. And last year, they had six defensive touchdowns, five interceptions and a fumble return for a touchdown. And then Fassel on special teams, I mean, two, punt, uh, two block punts returned for touchdown, a kickoff return touchdown. 
nine returns, or nine touchdowns, <laughs> non-offensive touchdowns. Wow, and, and that's when they had a real good offensive football team. Do you think they're going to try to pick up some of the slack, trying to do some of the things they did last year with unconventional, you know, unscripted scores as such? Yeah, I mean, that, they, they kind of have to, and that's one the, – the best thing about Trayvon Diggs is his ability to take the ball away and make a play afterwards. Uh, he, he's a former receiver. We all know his brother, Stefan, up in Buffalo. Um, he's still learning how to be a cornerback in some respects, but when he gets the ball in his hands, he, he's dynamic. And then on special teams, Fossil will do some quirky things like coming after you on third and 18 when what are you doing? You don't need to do that and pick up a – luckily there was only a running into the kicker, not a roughing the – the kicker penalty last week. They they like this guy, Kevante Turpin, is their, their return guy. Returned a kick and a punt against the Chargers in the preseason, which might have been the kiss of death in some respects because now everybody knows who he is. But they think he can be electric in the return game and do some things to help that offense. But they, they have to do a lot of – they have to take the ball away, give the offense multiple possessions, and the special teams have to win field position, and that's where they think Turpin can make a difference. So I'm curious to see if – the Bengals follow the same pack uh, that, that uh, Tampa Bay did where the kickoffs were about 8 million feet in the air and just didn't give them any space to go anywhere, and then the punts were all by the sideline. So, you know, the, the, but they have to get – I don't want to call them cheap touchdowns, but the Cowboys definitely have to get some cheap touchdowns because it, I don't think you can pre- predict this offense to go, go on 10-play drives when penalties are an issue, injuries are an issue, and, and in some cases the talent's an issue. Sunday's game kicks off at 425. Our pregame coverage will start at 3 o'clock. Before I wrap things up, here's an invitation to join us at the Buffalo Wings and Rings location in Milford for the Bengals Pep Rally Show on Friday from 3 to 6. Kevin Huber will join us in the final hour, and we'll have plenty of giveaways throughout the show. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, presented by Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet. Elevate your connection with Alta Fiber. By Kettering Health, the official healthcare provider of the Bengals. By Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. And by Paycor, the official HR software provider of the Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.